0: Review and Renew, the Jersey Business Podcast. Welcome to this episode of Review and Renew, a series of podcasts brought to you by Jersey Business in association with Channel 103. In this series, we're talking about how we can do business better, how we can achieve our goals, and of course, topical at the moment, make our businesses more resilient. In each episode, we'll be talking about one aspect of business today, drawing on the knowledge and expertise of local business leaders, and at the end of each session, we'll be asking them for their top tips. In this podcast, we're going to find out more about remote working, something, of course, we're all now getting used to as part of daily life, and I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Plaster and David Bailey. Richard is a director of HR and health and safety experts Law at Work. He has more than 30 years experience in HR related issues and as a previous chair of the Jersey Skills Board and the Employment Forum, he brings considerable experience to the conversation of both the public and private sector. David is currently Chief Operating Officer at RBC and is responsible for the implementation and execution of strategy for the wealth management business in the British Isles. Born and educated in Jersey, David has held senior roles in a broad variety of businesses, primarily in the financial services sector. Gentlemen, welcome both. Let's start with a pretty basic question, and that's around what we should actually call how we are working now. I've heard lots of variations on a theme, including flexible, remote, distributed, and hybrid. So do they all mean the same thing, or is there a difference? We've been through lots of iterations of what the right word should be. The two
1: kind of principles that we've looked at are the concept of flexible. So flexible working for us has a contractual connotation. So it really defines the kind of parts of the terms of how uh, you are going to work as an employee and how we understand as an employer how you will work. So it defines the, the sort of the time that you will work, the days that you will work, and it's really part of your contractual terms. The other one that we're using is distributed. And distributed really talks about mainly focused on the locational aspects of it and how you want to work and enables us to think about the tooling of how you want to work. But we appreciate that like lots of different businesses are going to have different kind of ways that they they see it. But they're, they're the two ways that we've been looking at it as a business.
0: Richard, in your
2: experience at Law at Work, how do you define these different ways of working? We see organisations using their own definitions and they mean they, what, what it does to them. I think what is... Uh, worth thinking about and and going on from what David was saying about flexible working, having a contractual element. It also has a statutory element in that folk have a statutory right to request flexible working and changing your contract of where you do your work, when you do your work and, and the like. Um, so it, it has that context as well. We see the word hybrid working also being used quite a lot of this mix of sometimes in the office, sometimes at the workplace and sometimes at home or somewhere else, that sort of hybrid effect.
0: It's been challenging, hasn't it, for businesses to, to adapt. What, what role do you think corporate culture has played in the transition to these new ways of working? So some businesses have adapted really quickly uh, and almost embraced the opportunity and, and others have been more hesitant, reluctant perhaps.
1: I think the underlying corporate culture pre-pandemic is really important to consider in that. The importance of culture can't be underestimated in, in, in everything that you do in your business. But, you know, in our own business, we felt we had really, really strong, flexible working policies in place. Um, we were really supportive in terms of encouraging people to think about uh, flexible working, but we just didn't have anywhere near the take up. And what the pandemic has done is actually changed people's mindsets and really opened up their eyes to the existing culture that we think we had and allowed them to sort of utilise the opportunities that are there much more. And I think people are much more that they're recognising the value of the culture in, in, in a business and seeing how that, that's important. So I think it's been a bit of a push and pull between the employer and, and the employee in how that that's played out in the
2: last sort of 10 months. I think the other aspect we've seen, and especially in smaller organisations, is that the culture has been turned on its head. There was that day in March when we all marched out of the office with our, our equipment under our arms and wondering what, what would happen tomorrow. And many folks' cultures have not settled down since that point. They're still finding their way. Um, what was impossible suddenly became possible. What we were not prepared to think about, we suddenly had to think about. And that has been a culture shock to culture. And I think over the next few months, as hopefully things start to return to whatever the new normal will be, we will see organisations almost developing their new culture. And I can see some, real, again, culture shocks that organisations uh, have to go through as they try and understand well, what, what, is, what has happened, what has actually happened. We've come out of this crisis. What does the future look like? What does our new culture look like?
0: This is the Review and Renew podcast from Jersey Business. Rightly, perhaps, the focus has been very much on how staff are handling these changes, but but what about managers and, and senior executives? What sort of training and support do we need to think about for them?
2: I think the first part is about managing crisis. Folk have adapted, and some have done it incredibly well, some have really struggled, and every Shade of grey in between, so there is that crisis. But moving forward, there there is still a dialogue to be had of what is the new skill set for managers. Part of the problem with that is we're not actually sure what the work life will look like, really. And it's trying to, it's trying to work out what will happen and then what the skills. But we but let's think about some of the some of the headings we might put in. How do we manage people? What do we manage in? We used to manage if someone turn up. Now we've got to look at think about output. We've got to think about quality. We've got to think about people's mental health. We've got to think about the amount of time it takes to manage. It, you, you, you no longer sort of look around your office and you can see your staff. Um, you've got to take time to actually make contact and think about them as individuals and what they need. So doing sort of the management job on the, on almost the side of the desk is becoming quite difficult, if not impossible, to do it well. And this does require new skill sets, but I don't think we're quite there yet of knowing what they all are. This is an adapting process. As, as you know, over the next few months, we hope all to be back to a new normal, back to work. Um, government support will disappear. And all these are ch- real challenges for managers and business owners. And we're not quite there yet in terms of knowing the full picture. I
1: think it's a really good opportunity for us as well to do – a much better job on people management you know it's given us that sort of window to say actually I think you made a great point before around um, you know you can't do it as the additional bit at the end of your 100% work capacity day people management is an intrinsic part of what we do um, and we need to put the right investment into it so I think that you know this period has actually been a, a really nice sort of inflection point
0: would well, that brings me on to the the next point which is perhaps that one of the biggest challenges business managers leaders face is around communication now back in March everyone was very quick to adopt new ways of communicating with their teams be it with zoom or teams or webEx whichever method it was good old telephone and email and of course as we've introduced those systems we we've had to also think about what processes we put in place to ensure that they're effectively used that they're not abused. What should businesses be thinking about in terms of the processes and culture of this new way of communicating with their people?
1: I think you have to set uh, the framework of what is the most appropriate communication medium, you know, how do people want to communicate? What works in your particular business? What works with your employees? You need to go and ask those questions and actually build it around what people want. I think what you tend to find is that you need multiple communication methodologies or mediums because they people respond in different ways. And I think you need to provide at least a a kind of decent differentiation of the types of mediums that, that you actually have. And then just understand how people want to use them. You do have to set the guidelines and the frameworks that make sure that there is the right guidelines uh, in terms of making sure that people apply the law uh, effectively. So whether that's the regulatory guidance around the sales process or or actually it's just the standards that the law sets around the hr requirements for for instance but other than that i think it's really important that you you get the users to tell you how they want to communicate
2: richard i think the other aspect of that is also what do your clients need what what are the expectations of those of your clients your customers or those you're interfacing we're getting different comfort levels there as well and you need to meet your clients where they are and understanding where they are and what they're comfortable with is an important part of the balance for, for communicating and where your staff are communicating to your clients, clients to you, employees to you, to you and so on. So I, I would add the client bit there.
0: Let's talk a little bit around productivity because I know in the early stages of lockdown last March, which seems an awfully long time ago now, a lot of businesses were worried about productivity and you know how are my staff going to be productive when they're sat in their bedroom, lounge, kitchen, wherever it is. How do we maintain productivity? Or or let's start with, in your experience, what has happened to productivity? How do we maintain productivity? And then how do we monitor it when our people aren't under our noses? So how do we get the best from them? There's two parts to that
1: question. So what's the experience that we've had in terms of productivity? So we've seen very little change in productivity. In fact, in some areas, we've seen increases in productivity. In some parts of our business, we have uh, very well-developed productivity measures that are relatively real-time. But in large parts of our, our business, We don't have any direct productivity measures, so we have sort of lagging indicators. But I think it's really important that you change the kind of the thought process about how you think of productivity. So, you know, there's this traditional sort of paradigm of the proxy of presenteeism for productivity. Richard mentioned it before. You know, you really need to focus on goals and outcomes. The outcomes and the behaviours that drive those outcomes is is really, really important. For me, it's it's shifting into that kind of new mindset. And you need to trust people, right? And you need to give them the space to do their job. Make sure they're really clear on what the expectation of outcomes are and the expectation of the behaviors and let them do their job. And the experience certainly from our perspective is they do a fantastic job. You know, that would be my advice. Set a good framework uh, and let people do what you
2: pay them to do.
0: You use the word there, which um I was going to come on to next. So is is the big word here, trust?
2: I think trust is a key part, but there are, I think there are three elements to this. There is leadership of painting that picture of what we're expecting. There is output, being very clear what the output should look like. And there is quality. Poor quality isn't what you want. Low output with very, very high quality is probably not what you want. There's this balance and one of the skills, coming back to your earlier question about, about managing, is how do we manage those, those elements and get those elements right? But part of that is about that leadership, that vision, that communication to our employees so that they understand what it is that is expected of.
0: Well, that's really key, isn't it? So essential to this is feedback, and it, it, it presumably it has to be two-way
2: feedback. Feedback always has to be two ways, or actually just talent. So by its, by its very definition... There is that conversation of what is needed, what is expected, what are the barriers that are in the way that prevent us doing that. It may be technology, it may be the kit you've got at home, it may be some other pressures, it may be the support you need from, from, from the workplace, it may be information, you, you, know, you just don't know what it is. But that, that two-way conversation. But if, if folk understand what it is you want, where you want to be, they will help you get there. But it is that that communication, and then keep checking in. Goals which are achievable and short term are really helpful because you can very quickly see if things are going astray, and that communication of yeah, we're on target. Yep, this is this is the route map. We're okay.
0: David, how do you manage that in a large, multi-jurisdictional organisation like RBC? All the points that Richard just made, I think you need to
1: have a really clear strategy that you can articulate to your teams that they can contextualise in the job that you're asking them to do. And Richard's absolutely right. What you need them to, to do is paint the picture for them. You don't have to tell them exactly how to uh, fill in all of the the, the parts of the picture they'll do that for you. You just need to give them the vision of where they're aiming for um, and trust them to execute against that. And if you put good sort of goals and measures in place that help you collectively find the checkpoints to say, are we still heading in the right direction? Is the strategy still good? Then that enables you to manage, whether it's a small business or whether it's a large business, I think the the kind of framework is is equally appropriate.
0: Helping keep businesses working. This is review and renew the podcast series from Jersey Business. Let's talk about some of the the benefits of remote working, happiness, productivity, team collaboration. What have been the benefits? Do you think that have have sort of been born out of
2: the last year, fourteen months? Benefits are quite hard to see because everyone sees the disbenefits. But I think some of the some of the benefits have been about folk actually. Liking the place they're in. That's not the case for everyone. For some, it's been a lonely place, and that's another question and as another set set of issues. But for many, uh, working from home has been a good experience. And we mustn't forget that for many, it has been a good experience. They've been able to spend maybe better time at home, better work-life balance, not spend an hour every day in the car. Maybe they're able to do some of the other things they want to do with their life. And so, it has been a good experience. Has it been a good experience for organisations? I think we will probably come to some conclusions over the coming months as we come out of this and we actually start totting it up as, as, as to looking at that, that balance. Certainly, from a productivity point of view, I think some, some of the indicators are the quality has been better because folk aren't, are able to get their heads down, get on with a job without constant interruptions that you, you get in the office. So there are, there are some, some issues there. And I think that's where your benefit structure is going to to look at.
0: One of the benefits we were talking about before we came into the studio was that actually workplaces may become more inclusive as a result of this. How how do you see that happening, David? I think it's the access
1: to, to talent. And Richard rightly was saying earlier that this ability to remove some of the barriers to entry to the workplace, whether it's the traditional sort of family relation or family paradigm i guess is probably the word of who does the childcare, who does most of the work around the family that's been a barrier to kind of entry to work and most of that has been removed or at least it's enabled people to have the discussion around well actually who does have the ability to kind of work and participate in the workforce so i think there's an aspect there of um Uh, Of increasing diversity Uh, and then there's the other kind of aspect of this kind of removing this sort of cultural thinking around the geolocation around a building for instance in terms of where you need to hire people so that gives you more access to diversity but then it's really important that you can unlock the inclusiveness um, and include those people in the decision making the operation of your business and how you think about uh, how you want to unlock the benefits that that diversity actually brings. So I think there's probably a, a little bit more work in terms of how we unlock that inclusion, if you like, in a more distributed working environment.
2: What I think is really needed now is, is a conversation uh, and particularly engage in those groups uh, who represent and have interests for those who have maybe disabilities, maybe those who are, require support in terms of how we can maximize the benefits of the changes in attitude that have taken place the changes of location that work can now take place and there is a thought process there and we need to think through about those folk who may not have had the opportunities in the past where the barriers were impenetrable but are now actually quite possible but in doing so we need to think about the skills of those folk because if if those opportunities haven't been there, we cannot expect them to have the skills. So we really need to get our act together in reskilling folk who are now coming, who have the opportunity to come to a, maybe a different job marketplace. But we've got to skill them up. And that is the fundamental, or else we'll lose the opportunity. You know, the discrimination law has been in for a while now. I think we could be at the cusp here of actually, the pandemic could do more benefit for those with with disabilities who suffer discrimination than actually the law could. This is a great opportunity for those groups, but we've got to grasp it.
0: One more question about people before I move on to something else. And this is a point actually that you raised again, Richard, before we came in here. And that's, you called it the battle for talent, which I found really interesting. And this idea that how you as a business have behaved during lockdown, how you've treated people, how you have adapted could have longer-term implications for your ability to retain or recruit talent in the future?
2: I think that's very much the case. Um, f- a lot of folk will not want to change work at the moment. It's, it's an un- uncertain future. They're, they're going to let things ride. If you've been treated badly during the pandemic, don't expect people to, to hang around. They're going to look for a, a better place because they're, they're feeling hurt. So you've got to think about those folk and how you recover that situation. Then those who are moving, then what are they looking for? If they're looking for a more flexible workplace and you're not offering that, then you're not going to get that talent. Now, it's not going to be an issue for all applicants or for all staff, but I think the issue of talent looking for a more flexible environment is going to be key over the next six, to 12 months. And we ignore that at our peril
0: it's not just our people that we need to think about there are other operational things that we need to, to consider things like health and safety you've got people working uh, at a workstation in their house you know how do you make sure that that's appropriate data security how do you ensure that your your data is is protected what do you do what advice do you have around those areas i think you've got a
1: invest the right time and energy into looking into those. So again, every business is going to be different in terms of the impacts of those different things. Some of those areas are relatively well mature. So cybersecurity, data security, those considerations largely have been addressed in the first phase and and actually before that there was lots of kind of move around cybersecurity around that. But that was definitely a a pretty uh, serious concern in in the early phases as employees go to remote working, they're working from all sorts of different physical locations and their access into your network and controlling that is incredibly important. Some of the actual issues that we faced before from uh, data security around the physical security of things like documents and paper, actually we've seen an enormous drop in the use of paper and move to electronic use of information, which has improved our security environment to a large extent. That said, things like health and safety, different jurisdictions have different requirements. I think that's going to be a a very evolving landscape as we move forward and we move much more into a sort of regularised distributed working environment. And also, I think people have been in a very accommodating kind of mindset that they recognise that this is a crisis situation but that will change that will evolve being sat at your dining room table or being at the other end of your bedroom uh, or on your bed or in a bed sit, people are only work like that for a, a period of time and and the health and safety landscape of that is going to have to change and address that specifically i think
2: employers need to recognize that the home has now become a workplace and therefore the responsibilities that the employer has in the office are coming into the home and so it's not acceptable to have someone balancing their laptop on their lap on their bed it's just not on but it's beyond that you've got to show that you are supervising health and safety so do you use online tools in order to monitor to do your display screen equipment uh, tests and so on over the last few months certainly we've seen in our own business we've evolved a Huge amount of knowledge and experience in health and organisations overcome these challenges, and it's happening all the time. And we are now getting to a much better place where there are, there are good tools, there are good online tools, we can use video conferencing, um, in order to ensure that the health and safety issues within the home can be met and that the employer can do what they're required to do, which is take reasonable precautions for the health and safety of their staff. And that duty is absolutely maintained despite working in
0: the home. You're listening to the Jersey Business Podcast. Review and renew. For more business help and advice, go to jerseybusiness.je. Now, so far, we've been talking about this as if remote working is here to stay. and, And I'm sure, looking forward, there will be a form of remote working that is here to stay. And there was certainly a lot of euphoria during the first lockdown, or this is great, you know, I'm really enjoying this. But actually, as time went on and people came back to their workplaces, sort of maybe during the summer or early September, the mindset was slightly different, wasn't it? People were thinking, well, actually I'm missing the workplace. And that's something we need to consider as well, isn't it? Not everyone does want to work from home. So what are the considerations It's there? almost the perfect example of diversity because everybody's
1: individual situation is going to be different. All the drivers that get, get them there are different. I think You are going to see people wanting to make different decisions in different points in time as we go through this and different kind of life events kind of change that. So I think the way we are thinking about it as an organization is it's going to be an evolving journey. So we will be able to make some structural decisions, but it won't be this entire group of people are going to work in a distributed way or these people are definitely going to want to be in the office. I think we're going to have to try and accommodate a hybrid model, as Richard referenced earlier, which allows us to kind of make reasonable business decisions in terms of this is what on-premises looks like and you know you can have a desk or it's a hot desking process. To some extent... But also then be accommodating to the groups of people that uh, do want to work from the office or actually the role drives much more of a sort of access to specific technology that's difficult to replicate in a distributed environment. So that position is going to change. I certainly don't think it's, you know, if you look at lots of surveys that were taken in June or July, huge percentages of employees want a distributed working uh, or a flexible working model going forward which is fine but that doesn't mean they all want to work from home permanently. So, I think it's going to be very much a changing position and you will have groups of people that want to work in one way, groups of people that want to have a work in another and then a pretty strong combination in the middle of both.
2: We're already seeing that there are some who are struggling to work at home. It has not been a good experience. While others have actually relished and flourished in that. And then a group of people in the middle who are are all, all over the place and we know there are serious problems with the mental health of some for those who's not been about a good experience so from an employer point of view i think you've got to there's a lot of listening to take place and not a lot of talent there is a lot of asking questions about well, what works for you and what works for the business and let's try and find a solution that works the hybrid model does seem to be coming out tops rather than just work at home or just work in the office and whether that be week on week off two days in three days out or or whatever it whatever it means and it'll be different for for different folk uh, those are the ones to explore but it's one of these key communication issues i don't think it's one where we can say you are going to be doing this because if you're sitting alone in a bedsit working at home is not a great experience and we're social animals. We need that that's that social activity. And especially at the moment, you know, the pubs are closed, the cafes are closed, the restaurants are closed, everything's closed. For many, only their social contact is at work. There are many who are struggling with that.
1: I think one thing that you'll probably see is a a slight change in in how workspaces actually look you'll see much more social interaction space i think and it will be less about a sort of static escort a place where you go and i think it will be much more about the connectivity and that human interaction that you were referencing and i think that will be reflected in space
2: usage in in buildings over time but don't forget for many their desk is their property Mm. you that little almost barrier around them these are some it's barriers to overcome for others it's a real comfort blanket and that's why we've we've just got to work with people and understand where they are at the moment and where they want to move to and try and find a way that actually works which gives them good buzz being at work whether at work is in an office or at home
0: i like that idea of your desk being your your own little bit of personal office real estate i've got one Final thing to ask you and it's putting you on the spot and it's time to just give your top piece of advice to to businesses that are not perhaps muddling through but trying to deal with the challenges of a very fast changing
2: environment. For me it is try and picture what 3 months time looks like, try and picture what 6 months looks like and what does that mean for your business, for your finances and for your staff and for your customers. What will your customers want? could be different. What will your staff want? It could be different. What are your finances like? could be different. What does that mean to you? And you need to look ahead and have a bit of vision and a bit of strategic planning about some of those issues so they don't hit you like a locomotive.
1: I think for me, it's be really focused on your strategy and then take that. And ensure that you can articulate that to your teams in terms of what are your expected outcomes and what are the expected behaviours that you have to deliver those outcomes. And if you get those structured well and people buy into it, they'll really help you deliver on that, whatever the circumstances are around
0: that. Richard Plaster of Law at Work and David Bailey from RBC. It's been an absolutely fascinating discussion and I would like to thank you both very much for your time and for sharing your insights into this topic. If you'd like more information and advice on running your business, there is a huge library of resources on the Jersey Business website, jerseybusiness.je. And you can listen to other podcasts in this series there or through the Channel 103 website, channel103.com. So until the next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. To listen to more from the review and renew series of podcasts, visit jerseybusiness.je.